Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today you're going to hear the second half of Chuck Wood's case study. Chuck is a movement pioneer based in San Antonio, Texas, and he's talking to the No Place Left Conference in Sydney, Australia. Steve Smith is asking the questions. Uh, you know, in Dubai, we talked about some key lessons we're learning just trying to reach the Western world. Are there some things that rise to the top that you'd mentioned for these guys working Australia, New Zealand uh, primarily, just to be aware of as they're trying to move into doing these things here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we ain't in Kansas anymore, Toto. Um, anytime uh, we compare ourselves with India, or China, or anywhere else in the world, we, we're we going to get into trouble. Now, it's funny because Deb and I have had the opportunity to travel a little bit since we started this. And you know what the most common statement is when we first start to train? The most common statement is this. Well, you really don't know country X, Y, and Z. This is hard soil. Every soil is hard soil, but it's just hard in different ways. So what do we do? We get on our knees and we pray like crazy. And we practice Second Chronicles 15, 7. But you be strong and do not lose courage for there is great reward in your work. We have to stick at it. There is no ground too hard for God. Now, we do have to put on our thinking caps and understand our context. The context is different, so what works in China may not work in Australia or New Zealand. So get on our knees and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out harvesters who know the context and can crack the code with God's help. Uh, You might have done the Goliath study. We need to slay Goliath in the West. And I think, <laughs> I think Goliath's dead and we're starting to do a party right now. So, uh, we just need to keep pressing in that direction. Um, with the West, another lesson learned is you have a thousand voices. So everybody from, uh, I was going to name some big name preachers, but I won't do that. Everybody and their brother is speaking in to the flock's ears and trying to keep them focused on just even the three-thirds process is crazy hard. And so, again, you got to pray like crazy, and then you got to snuggle up next to that Timothy. And when they get creative because the good idea of fairy comes flying in there, you got to ask, how is that working for you? And usually it ain't. And so we got to keep bringing them back to simplicity, reproducibility, and sometimes have them plug their ears and just go la, la, la. You know? So anyways, that's, that's a lesson learned. Okay. Uh, I, I wish Chuck you'd be a bit more frank, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, I want to just open it up for anybody, questions, because really, the last two years, Chuck and Deb have seen some pretty amazing breakthroughs. Uh, and originally, I mean, a lot of it was happening as Chuck was doing Google Hangout and Skyping guys and gals all over the world. Uh, I remember when we met Chuck in Austin, and uh, you're just saying, you know, let's do it in San Antonio. We want to see it happen in San Antonio, and now you're seeing the breakthroughs. And So let's just open it up. What questions would you ask Chuck? We've got him for the next uh, 25 minutes. Yeah. Okay, Chuck, what are your relationships like with existing churches? All right. Uh, so far, so good. We haven't gotten kicked out of the synagogue yet. Um, we, we believe in a both-and approach. Um, when we come to a church, we're there to serve them. And we have been in probably 50 churches. I don't want to exaggerate. Let me lower that. Maybe 30. 30 churches in the past two years. And when we come, we come as serving them and we say, here's the four fields. What do you want us to serve you in? And if they want to stop at field three, praise God, let's help you make disciples. And then maybe on down the road, they'll say, what about this church, crazy church planning thing? What, what about that? You know, so we just serve them the best way that we can. We have a pastor uh, south of San Antonio just called me today. Hey, will you come and train our church? This is a, a traditional church, 200 members, and, and how to do this. And he's Hispanic, and he asked for the whole tamale. So we're going to be doing everything from lostness to leadership. So, but our relationship with the church is good. Um, some are may struggle with the church planning thing, church identity thing. Okay, let's not be divisive over that. Let's work that out, cast some vision, get some understanding. Bottom line, I'm not there to correct their ecclesiology. I'm there to serve them. So I do whatever I can to help them. What else would we ask yeah, over here, Roger? The new churches? Uh, Chuck, could you talk a little bit about uh, the dynamic of the new churches, size, what role they're playing uh, in their communities? Just talk to us about what they look like. Okay. Yeah. I don't know of any of our churches that are bigger than 25 people in the city. Most of them are somewhere between six to 15 people. Um, they are very missional. They are reaching their neighborhoods. So uh, one of the things that we do is called a uh, house of peace push. We find people that are ready, willing, and able to get into the house of peace. And we just take our community into that neighborhood and start knocking on doors and find them a house of peace and then insert them. Now, they got to be ready, willing, and able. If they don't want to do that, then we're we're going to push on to somebody else. Uh, they, there's a high degree of accountability, but it's loving accountability. Uh, people are, um, I think their relationships are much closer. Um, the, the one of the cool things is that the kids are doing it. We we have a YouTube video where 
dad was filming uh, their son and two daughters, and the son was leading them in communion, totally spontaneous with crackers and water. But he was he was laying down communion with his sisters, and we were just totally blown away. We've heard of uh, eight-year-olds leading their 26-year-olds, by, uh, babysitters to Christ. This is the most family-friendly ministry we've ever been a part of. And so it's a holistic thing. We're not farming out the kids. The kids are there when we're doing House of Peace searches. Super sneaky. I mean, it's unfair when you have this little girl with you. They have no chance. No chance. So that's kind of, does that answer the question? It's kind of flavor of the church. And I, I think, ask see if you're seeing the same thing, but I think what we've seen universally is uh, our boys love this type of church, and you'll see the eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds sharing amazing insights into the Word uh, yeah. because we let the Holy Spirit speak into their, to, through them. And I don't know if you're seeing those types of things, Chuck, but it sounds like it. Yeah. In fact, in our church on Sunday, the seven-year-old picks up, up the songs, so that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, Chuck, could you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. And I have some, uh, based on mixing chemicals and having them blow up, I got some really good advice for you. <laughs> Don't flip your church upside down. Uh, you start a skunk work. You know what a skunk work is. It's kind of this secret, okay, secret uh, experience experiment on the side and you don't really want everybody knowing about it because if it goes south then you can claim deniable culpability so you start this little skunk work and you want to try to find the apostolic evangelistic types and give yourself a really good chance to get rolling and you just start one little Church on the side and you begin to train them just like you would train a house of peace. And this is what I call a training church. What I do is I meet the first week with them and teach them how to do a story of hope. The next week they show up, we have cookies in hand and we're going to go out and knock on doors, say, hey, we're practicing random acts of kindness in our neighborhood. Here's some cookies. How can we pray for you? Then they retreat back to the house and they're all shaking and, yay, we did it. Okay, good. Now the second story of hope is on the third week. Notice this is every other week thing. But by week two, these believers are in the harvest. So this little skunk work church is going, okay, I'm being trained one week. The next week, I'm going out in the harvest. I come back the next week, a little more training. Then every other week, they're being trained and they're in the harvest. We did this with one church, and in five weeks, we had we got into four homes, four houses apiece, and we're rolling. Now, what happened is 
This is downside of this thing. The pastor saw this as a great opportunity to bring people into the existing church structure. And so they pulled in all those sheep and told them, okay, now you need to go to X church. And the whole thing flattened out right there. Within five weeks, we were permeating that little neighborhood. But as soon as we tried to um, extract all those folks out of the neighborhood, the thing just stopped. So hopefully, um, is that is that uh, so? In other helpful? words, Chuck, you're saying you know instead of trying to retool the entire church, start mm-hmm. this experimental group on the side, help them begin getting a success in the hopes of helping that become a new model in the church. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. And be patient with that process, too, because you're, you may not see immediate fruit like we did in that situation. It may take a while. So be patient with it and get, let it go a while, you know, a year. So good. Tim? Yeah, hey, Chuck. So good to see you. Thank you so much. Yeah, good to see you, Tim. Okay. L-O-V-E, okay? Fruitful people. They love extraordinarily. They obey extraordinarily. They have an extraordinary vision. And they are extraordinary examples of loving God and loving people. So they love extraordinary. They obey extraordinarily. They're men and women of extraordinary vision, and they uh, set an extraordinary example. People like that are very contagious. And so now, that's a super high bar, but when you look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy, and I recommend this as a Bible study, Steve right now has got your brains on fire, so don't worry about it until you get to home. But... What you need to do is look at the scriptures and ask these two questions. What endeared Paul to Timothy? What were the characteristics, the attributes? And then the second question is, what endeared Timothy to Paul? And just look at those two characteristics. What was so attractive about these two men's life that one would be the Paul and one would be the Timothy? When you find those characteristics, those are the characteristics of fruitfulness. They abide in Christ, and that's what LVE is all about. They're abiding in Christ. Okay, no. so Sorry. you mentioned the importance of sound DNA and passing it down. Could you talk a bit about right. what that sound DNA is that you have observed that is important to pass down generationally? Okay, good. You need to take a page out of Ying Kai's playbook. He had his Bible studies in pen and ink on paper. That's the first step. Have them easily accessible. Here in the West, we can cheat. We can hang it on a website and everybody can go to that website and download it. If, if they stick to the script, the paper and ink, the DNA is going to last a lot longer downstream. So wait, let me let me hold stop you there, Chuck. So you're saying like your short-term discipleship, you're using the commands of Christ. That's all accessible. Everybody can use the same model. Everything. That's what you're talking about here, right? Okay, right. Keep going. And 
And what did Ying do? Here, copy this. Make copies of this for the people. And they just copied that thing to the 18th generation. <laughs> so uh, the other thing, too, is don't assume your Timothys know the DNA. Don't assume anything. When we start our Timothy church, guess where we started? Three-thirds process. I divvied out one-third to three different people, and we did the three-thirds process, and that was the first hour. We had time hacks <laughs> where we were making sure people didn't eat up other people's times. And then when we got done, we said, okay, the next half hour, we're going to spend doing an assessment on how we did. So we had the individual that that did that one-third. They got to talk about what they did well and what they need to improve. And then the whole church got to say what they did well and what they need to improve. And that's, so that was a half hour of assessing, are we getting this? Another way that you can do this and uh be careful with this is untested, but we're probably going to do this is we have a full APES team in our church, apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So we want those to salt the entire network. They're kind of our elders in a lot of ways. So they're going to get on their pony and they're going to ride and visit some of these churches that's a, not only a good way to salt the entire church with the APES gifting and to equip the saints, but it's also a good way to kind of see what's going on downstream. That's a new idea for us. We haven't implemented it yet, but we're going to be checking on our DNA that way. So in other so words, there's Chuck, a couple. Yeah, you're, there is a connectedness between the different churches um, this is one way. What are other ways you're connecting them together? Because I know there is a connectedness in the in the streams. Yeah, uh, there's a connectedness in House of Peace searches. You know, I, I'm hanging out with a Goober. Okay, Goober is a third generation teenager, and he and I are knocking on doors together. Well, I get to see, does Goober know his story? Does Goober know the gospel? So we're getting to see that because we're doing stuff together. We we are planning on doing a citywide celebration. This is something new for us in September where we get to get together, brag on Jesus, and celebrate all the stuff that he's doing. But so those are some ways. Back here and I'll come over here. So the question I've got is, when you're talking to established churches around this stuff, how do you present it in a way that doesn't freak them out? Could you hear that, Chuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, first, don't dress up in a duck costume or anything. So, <laughs> just good, good, good hygiene is a great start. Okay. So, uh, Come with a number one, pray. Number two, come with an attitude of humility and service. And, you know, when we first started out, John Williams, he is known by everybody in the city of San Antonio. So 
what he did is he introduced me to different people and we just started casting a vision. You know, what would it look like? Uh, our vision is 2020 churches in San Antonio by 2020. Well, that's okay, but that's not really compelling to an established church. But no place left in San Antonio where man, woman, child have all heard the gospel. That's pretty compelling to any conscientious pastor. And so when you cast the vision, um, that is really important. Now, some fish you catch with vision... Uh, Nathan Shank has a really good uh, message on this on Steve Addison's blog. Some you catch with vision, the others cast with catch with fruit. When right now people are starting to notice, you guys are doing what? How are you doing that? It's like you have the winning numbers to the lotto ticket every time. You know, people want to know about that. What are you doing? So when the word starts hitting the street that you're being fruitful, then you start getting invites. And that's what's happening to us now. The uh, spread or the how you spread, like intentionally to geographical regions or just through people's own sphere and connections? Yeah, um, when we first started praying, there was 22 sections of San Antonio divided up by the major freeways running through the city. Uh, my initial thought was, hey, let's plant a church every, in every section, and we'll go off to very methodically like that. Uh, that hasn't worked so good. <laughs> what we do, and you'll hear, I learned this from Steve and Bill Smith, when you see smoke, throw gas on it. So, uh, so what you want to do is just keep your eyes open for what Jesus is doing. This is John five nineteen and twenty. For the Son of Man can do nothing of himself; he only does what he sees the Father doing, and he does it in like manner. And the Father loves the Son and shows him what he's doing. As greater works you shall see that you may marvel. So we just keep our eyes up, the radars up, sow the gospel like a crazy person. And as soon as you start to see something blossoming, that's the area you give the attention to. Uh, Steve has a great study on Athens versus Corinth. A great study to do what happened in those two locations. Uh, Paul was astute enough to see what Jesus was doing in Corinth, and he just chunked a lot of gas on that fire. So, ah, good, good question. Uh, this is in Randy, our House of Peace searches testimony. I should give it to you. It's classic. He was a gangbanger here on the south side. And uh, he said the first time we knocked on the door and gave him the cookies, he was like, uh, yeah, whatever. And then the second time, he was still like, wow, what are these people doing? And then, and then the third time, he says, okay, I'll let these people in. And then once we got into the home and started talking and loving on them, that's a big part of this, 
Uh, and oh, by the way, I prayed for Randy's foot, which had been hurting for two years and God healed his foot. You know, uh, when that happens, when we have a relationship, we're loving them, we're discipling them into the kingdom. Uh, I think that's much more fruitful than, uh, you know, a drive by gospel, you know, so. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's much more relational. And if you only get one touch, they're thinking what Randy is thinking. You know, it's like, who are you and where are you from? You know, so it's, it's much more relational. And you know where they live. You know, you can go back to them. Uh, people at Starbucks. You're not going to know where they live, at least in America. They're pretty paranoid about that. So, Okay, I'm going to give you the school book solution from Fred and Melissa, 7 to uh, 14 or 7 to 10 days. Uh, but here's the deal. <laughs> this is so funny. This shows you how hard-headed Chuck Wood is. So the people across the street, I'm knocking on doors. Oh, God, give us a house of peace. Go across the street. Yeah, right, God. Give us a house of peace. There's got to be a house of peace out here. Go across the street. The Holy Spirit was on me like a duck on a June bug for three days. Go across the street. And finally, I said, that must be the Holy Spirit. I walked up, knocked on the door. And this was a couple of weeks after. Hey, would you guys like a Bible study in your home? Yeah. So... So there's a school school book solution, and then there's listening to the Spirit and praying. And so somewhere in there is your answer. So Could you hear that, Chuck? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I know all the right things to do. Take all the Christianese out of that and be real sneaky and go through the back door and all that good stuff. But when I get in front of people, I get really nervous. So I say all the wrong things, you know. So uh, so <laughs> maybe that's why I'm the worst evangelist in the world. But uh, I here's what I think i think we do the best we can to be presentable to a lost culture do the best you can but when it all comes down to it i'm looking for the guy that was praying last night god if you're real send somebody into my life that's who i'm looking for that's the person of peace and it's almost like you could say hey you want to play tiddlywinks and studied the Bible together, yeah, you know, they will be ready, you know, so. Uh, I want to, yeah, go ahead, follow up. What about with regard to finances and giving in your group? What, what do you do with, with giving in your Yeah, um, yeah, we just had a big discussion about this. Um, what we have found is storehouse getting, giving, in other words, having a treasurer, putting it into a bank account or one person holding the money 
it doesn't work really good with our churches. Maybe I haven't done a very good job. That might be part of it. But here's what we found that works is saying, okay, it's your individual responsibility to give. And we want you to give. And we'll be asking questions. How are you giving? Uh, are you giving according to what God has called you to do generously? And so we're kind of putting the onus of giving on the, each individual family's shoulders. And that's working right now. It's, it's super out of the box, but it works for us. All right, Chuck, I want to, uh, we're going to draw this to a close, but you, you just mentioned, and I've heard you say this before, you're not an evangelist. And what are your spiritual gifts? I'm an apostle. Okay. <laughs> Hands down, that's, uh, I bleed apostolically. So uh, second is probably teacher or pastor. Okay. So. And so you found a way then to use those gifts to bless the movement. And um, I imagine you're compensating for not having evangelistic gifts, but, but you're using the gifts you've got in the way that's unique to what's needed. Would that be right? Yeah, uh, what I like to say is I'm the worst evangelist in the world. So if this is basketball, I'm getting no points, but I'm getting thousands of assists because I'm training people (laughs) to do it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, last one. So why did the churches that did stop, stop? (laughs) Well, as soon as you say, hey, we're going to go tell people about Jesus. That's a big, a big hurdle. And then the second one is, <laughs> it's so funny to watch modern American Christians be be confronted with the idea of practice for the first time. You know, the discussion's going along swimmingly, everybody's having fun, and then you throw down the practice thing, their eyes get this wide. What? You mean we have to do something about this? <laughs> Obedience-based discipleship, you know, it, it helps people crash and burn who do not want to be a part of acting out the gospel of Jesus. So All right, I would say those are the two things. The last Obedience question, Rakesh, last family. question. I have a question that when you present people, see uh, in a special church or orthodox church, and uh, people are saying, well, what So, Chuck, when you are presenting this to an established traditional church, and they... They buy in. They're starting new groups. Do those believers stay in that existing church, or are they starting new churches? It depends on the ecclesiology of the church. If they're open to church planning, then there will be church planning. I like to tell the pastors that if you have an open hand, this is the law of giving. If you give, you will receive. So people are going to come to your church. In a Western context, if a person wants to know about God, they go to the little building with a pointy thing on it, okay? It, it permeates our culture. And so they're going to draw people to their church. Yeah. But I also remind them that's only 6% of people that live in apartment complexes in the U.S. 
are ever going to set foot in your church. We have got to bring church to them. And when you approach it with the both and uh, uh, technique or approach, uh, that helps them. And we have a church here in town. Uh, the, the pastor was worried about losing finances, losing members. Well, they're, they're gaining and they're flourishing outside the church as well.